Good morning. How is everybody? Oh, we're going to try that again. Good morning. How is everybody? Good. Happy Father's Day. I want to welcome all of our dads here today. If you're a dad, raise your right hand. You solemnly swear to fix everything in your house over the next year. <laughs> I know. That's right. That's right. Help us, Jesus, right? I'm so glad you're here on Father's Day. I want to welcome our LaGrange campus, our Noonan campus. Those of you watching online, I want to welcome you too. Uh, today is going to be a special day. Today is special for this reason. We're in our third week of our series called At the Lake. And men, today we will be talking about food. <laughs> I knew I would get a rise there because men, we want to talk about food, right? Like if you went home today and your children bought you a green egg and put it on your back porch, what would you do? You'd say, God is a miracle working God. That's what you'd say, right? And my children, they are blessed of heaven. That's what you would say. But uh, on this day, we're going to be talking about food. In fact, we're going to be talking about one of the stories about food in the Bible that I think is one of the most popular stories about food. Now, I, I don't always think this way, but I think that certain types of churches kind of embrace certain types of miracles. So let me just go there and get the, the water out of the pot real quick. Um, if you're Catholic or Episcopalian, you think that the, the changing of the water into wine for Jesus at the wedding is the greatest miracle ever, right? Can I just get an Amen. Okay, some of you say that, okay. But if you're Baptist, <laughs> you think the feeding of the 5,000 is the greatest miracle. Why? Because it involved food and a buffet. And most Baptists are like, that's the greatest miracle ever. That you could pay one fee, shop, and eat, you know, till you die or whatever. And so today we're going to be talking about that miracle. And I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew 14. I want to jump straight into the text today. And then I want to talk about the miraculous meal. Because here's the thing I believe is true. God wants to do miracles in our lives. I really do believe that. Every time Jesus stepped on the lake, something miraculous happened, right? Like, I remember for me, one of my biggest miracles is when I finally got up on skis on the lake. Like, I think I, I drank half of the lake in Oklahoma that I learned to ski on before I ever got up on skis. And when I got up on skis, I thought it was a miracle. I thought, how is this happening? And I looked up and there's a boat and there's a rope and I realized I wasn't really doing any of the work. And I think miracles are kind of the same way in our life. Like God wants to do miracles. And so when we come to church, we don't always want to talk about miracles because miracles kind of freak us out a little bit. Like, ooh, I've seen some scary things, right? I was uh, doing the search on the internet the other day, which is always funny when you say weird miracles that happen in the world. Someone had a grilled cheese that had the face of the Mother Mary on it. Okay, that's not a miracle. Okay, that's just called a really cool grilled cheese maker. Okay, it meant to be Mickey Mouse. It turned out looking like the Mother Mary. So, but it's a miracle. No, it's not. It's just, bro, you just need to keep making grilled cheese. Okay, you're blessed. And uh, there's a lot of things that we don't want to talk about when it comes to miracles because it gets a little freaky to us a little bit. But we're going to talk about God wants to do miracles in our life. Matthew chapter 14, I want to read the text and then we'll come back and talk about this. Starting with verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. What had happened? A few verses before, there was this guy who was the cousin of Jesus. His name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been out preaching, saying, prepare the way because the one who's going to come, Messiah, is coming. And then Jesus came on the scene. He pointed out Jesus is the Lamb of God. He baptized Jesus. And then all of a sudden, there was this king named Herod who wanted to kill John the Baptist. So he put him in prison. And Herod's throwing a party and he says, hey guys, we're going to get together and we're going to celebrate and we're going to drink a little bit and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden there's this girl that comes on the scene and she starts dancing for the king. 
And he loved her so much that he said, listen, if you keep dancing, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom if you just kind of dance a little bit and just make it pleasurable in this moment for us. And so she began to dance. And before she did, her mom whispered in her ear, said, when you finish dancing, you need to ask for the head of John the Baptist. He's in prison. And have him bring it on a platter. So she danced for the king. He got so excited. And the reason that Herod wouldn't kill John the Baptist is it wouldn't have been politically correct. Like everybody would have been upset because they really did believe he was someone from God. But all of a sudden, she dances for the king. The king goes and cuts the head of John the Baptist and brings it back to the people and hands it to her on a platter. And the Bible says that John's disciples left that moment and they went to tell Jesus what had happened. Jesus had gone through a very troubling time. It says, when all this had happened, he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. And hearing of this, The crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So get the picture. Jesus just had the worst word given to him. And he leaves and he heads to a place. Where was the place he went to? On the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, there's a town called Bethsaida. It is basically the delta region where the the north tributary of the Jordan River flows right into the Sea of Galilee. It would have been probably a a beach spot area where people would have gone. It would have been kind of like the the Palm Springs of the day. And Jesus is like, I got to get away. All of this demand on my life, all of these people. In Mark 6, we hear that Jesus needed to rest. The disciples said, Jesus, we can't keep up this pace. Many times the disciples would be with Jesus so long, they wouldn't even eat or sleep because the demand for his ministry had become so great. The expectations had become so high. And so Jesus says, I'm going to go away. Look at verse 14. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Verse 16, Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread, two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces and they went home and the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Back in those days in the counts, they didn't count women and children. So this was a miracle that happened with about 10,000 plus people. And so many times we walk in church and we read this story and we just go, oh, that's a great story. Jesus did something miraculous. Something cool happened on the lake. But, but I wanna tell you something about this passage is different. Because see, Jesus never performed a miracle just to say, hey, look at what I can do. Look at how cool I am. In fact, most of the miracles Jesus did, he could have done without doing some of the things he did. Like the guy that he healed who had blindness. The Bible says he spit on the ground, made a mud pie, put it in his eye. Now, I don't know if Jesus was just joking in that moment, but it's kind of like, hey guys, watch this. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but here's what I know. Jesus never wasted a moment. But I do know this. There are 37 miracles recorded in the Gospels. Every time Jesus performed a miraculous work, it was always for one of two reasons. 
in order to fulfill something that had been promised or to reveal who he was and who the father was. Remember when Jesus came on the scene, he said to us, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. What he's saying is, I want you to understand who I am. Messiah has come. Jesus is here. Or to fulfill something that had been promised by a prophet years ago. Jesus never performed miracles for miracles sake. There was always a message that was behind the miraculous. So as I look at this passage, I want to talk to you today about this miraculous meal, but I want to show you four observations. There's four observations from this passage that help me understand how God can do miracles in my life and in your life. There's like four principles that just kind of leap out at me that if we look at what we start realizing is no matter where we find ourselves in our life, we can experience the miracle working power of God in our life. But here's the question I want to ask you today. Do you believe that? You see, we always love to talk about miracles, right? Like, oh, I was, I was in the bank line the other day and, and, and something happened and it, it was just a miracle. Or we go in the, you know, Walmart and there were checkers in every place to check people out. It was miraculous. <laughs> but let's be honest. Miracles kind of freak us out a little bit. You know why? Because we don't control it. But I want to testify to you today, there's a lot of miracles in this room already. There are hundreds of people watching online today. And there was a time in your life that Jesus Christ came into your life and brought salvation into your life. And that is the greatest miracle working power you and I ever received. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 That's me, man. That's my story. So when I, when I talk to you today, I want to talk about four observations that I think can lead us in our life to a miraculous meal. The miraculous meal. Number one, withdraw so you don't quit. Four observations. Withdraw so you don't quit. The Bible says here, Jesus, when he heard what was happening, he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. I don't know about you in your life, but one of the things that I realize is that I need margin in my life. In fact, I believe God works more miracles in our life when we create margin for him to work. I don't know that we were really ever supposed to work or live or, 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 or live this pace that sometimes we put up with in our life. And then we wonder why we're not seeing God do a miracle in our life. And the truth is we need to learn to withdraw because if we don't, we will learn to escape. Let me just boil the water out of the pot. Jesus had come to a point in his ministry where it had gotten really hard. Demand wasn't going to lessen. There were more people to be healed. There was more life change to happen. There were more religious leaders to trap him. Things were getting more and more difficult. Have you guys ever noticed as you get older, as things happen in your life, things don't get simpler? Things seem to get more difficult in your life. Jesus was at one of those places. But what Jesus did actually is what God used to prepare the miracle for the people. He withdrew so that he wouldn't quit. You say, well, he was the son of God. He was the son of man. He was fully God, but yet he was fully man. He had the same choices we had, but we find him here and Jesus often withdrew. The gospel of John tells us he often withdrew. 
It wasn't like he just ran and ran and ran until he got tired and burned out and then called the committee and said, hey guys, I'm tapping out. He didn't do that. He would get up very early. He would stay up very late. He would find moments and places and he would just slightly draw away because he understood that there was power in his father's presence. Where are you in your life today? Where are you regularly drawing away, creating marginal space so that you won't quit? Because here's what I know. There's a big difference in life between withdrawing, quitting, and escaping. Withdrawing is intentional. I know where my strength comes from. I know where my source comes from. Quitting is I'm done, like I can't do anymore, so I'm just going to quit and I'm going to tap. And escaping is I can't handle the pressure, so I've got to create something in my life to get out of this moment. And I just want to say we live in a culture that is full of escapism. You say, how do you know that? There's a lot of people stressed out to the point that they can't even cope with their everyday life. They have behaviors that express the need to escape. I want to give you a little wisdom today. This is a principle I've been practicing in my life for about the last 10 years. It's called the HALT principle. H-A-L-T. It's an acrostic, HALT. And it says this, never make a major decision in your life when you're hurt, alone, lonely, or tired. When you're hurt, somebody's hurt you, you've gone through a hurtful season, and you just say, I just can't go anymore, so I just gotta quit. (laughs) Listen, a lot of marriages end in hurt. Alone. You're at a place where you're just vulnerable because you don't have the people of God speaking into you. You don't have those true friends looking at you saying, hey, I'll hold your arms up. You don't have to do this alone. So you're at a place of being alone. The next one, a lonely place. I just feel lonely, like I don't really have people speaking into my life. And then the last one, tired. You're just really tired. So I started thinking about this. Not every vacation is a good withdrawal. Here's why. I've been on the vacation thing before where you go, and I'm not, I love vacations. I think they're awesome. There's purpose in them, take them. But there's difference between withdrawing to get recharged by the Father and taking a vacation. And here's why. Because a vacation, you go to a website, and the picture looks so restful. Until you get to the airport and have to face TSA. And then it becomes stressful. And then you get there and your flight doesn't make it on time, right? And then you get off. And, 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 and what we do is we plan these elaborate vacations and it's great. Do them. They're awesome. But that's not the type of thing Jesus was doing. Jesus wasn't going to the other side of the lake to recreate. He was going there to rest. How are you withdrawing intentionally so that you won't quit? Because I'm going to tell you, I see believers left and right giving up and walking away from God and walking away from the church and walking away from the mission of God for their life. And they're just like, I'm just done. I'm just done. We have a whole generation of done people. Let me tell you, you're not done till God's done. Can I get an amen? I'm not done till God says I'm done. 
And if he's given me three more breaths, those every single breath ought to matter for him. So Jesus, he would often withdraw so he wouldn't quit. See, I believe this. Addiction is often rooted in escapism. Addiction is often rooted in escapism. Think about it. People don't wake up and say, my goal is to be a meth addict. I hope I'm a crazy meth addict. My goal is to be addicted to pornography. People don't say that. But you know, people I've talked to who've been through addiction, one of the things that I always hear them say is this. I got into a place in my life where I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. I felt so empty inside. I was going through a really difficult time and I started making decisions to escape from the pain. So I wanna say this. I don't think pornography is always a lust issue. I think sometimes it's just an escape issue. I don't think alcoholism is always the thing that people love the taste and they just say, you know what, I just drink this because I love the taste. They're trying to get out of something in their life. But Jesus, being fully God and fully man, he created margin. And I wanna say this to you today. If we don't create margin, we may miss many miracles in our life. So Jesus shows up on the scene. The Bible says he's moved. Look at verse 14. When Jesus landed... He saw a crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Jesus walks in and he sees these people and he's hurt and he's alone and he's lonely and he's tired and he's like, man, I just need to get away and be with the Father. But all of a sudden, you know what changed his perspective? He moved past his own personal pain, which is the second observation I want to give you today. Embrace your pain so that you can move past it. We don't always embrace our pain in life. We ignore it. We're good at ignoring pain. We're really good at avoiding pain. We don't always embrace pain. Jesus didn't run from the pain. He embraced the pain and he was able to move past it. It's what made Jesus a perfect picture for the miracle to happen. You see, we all have pain in our life. We all have pain. But isn't it funny when we go through a painful time, we think we're the only one in pain? I'm the only one that's going through a difficult time. I'm the only one suffering financially right now. I'm the only one who feel like my friends have rejected me. And I think the devil just plays in that playground. He just kind of comes to us and plays in our head and says, you're the only one. And I just want to remind you, the devil's a liar, okay? He's a liar. He's nowhere equal to God. It's not like God and devil and good and bad. Listen, he's like down here. God's up here. And I just want to remind you, if we're going to get past our pain, we have to embrace it. And our problem is if we wait till the pain stops, we may miss a lot of miracles in our life. Jesus didn't wait for the pain to stop. He saw the people and it moved him past his pain. I also want you to hear this today. Pain doesn't make you weird. It makes you human. A lot of times we go through painful seasons and we feel shameful because of the pain we're enduring. No, it just means you're human. It means you're alive. It means you're like everyone else. Let me tell you, 
when it comes to pain, it's the reason why years ago someone wrote this, this little nursery rhyme called Humpty Dumpty. It's because we all Humpty Dumpty. We've all had a great fall. And we're sitting around going, I'm not broke. I'm not, I don't have any pain. No, yeah, yeah, you do, man. Embrace the pain so you can move past it. In fact, Jesus embraced the pain and you know what it did? It became a platform for a miracle. Your pain may be the very thing God wants to use to minister to someone else and do a miracle. That's exactly what Jesus did. Embrace your pain and God will use it as a platform. God always loves using painful experiences in our life as a platform to do ministry for others. But what do we want? We want to remove the pain. We want to avoid the pain. Listen, don't ask God to remove the pain. Ask God to use the pain. God, I went through a nasty divorce. Would you please use the pain of what I went through to help me minister to other people? God, I went through a really bad job situation. Would you please use that to minister to others? When you start embracing the pain that way, God helps you move past it. And God wants you to move past it because he wants to do something miraculous in your life. Sam Chand, he wrote a book called Leadership Pain. If you're a leader, business leader, you just care about leadership, you've got to read his book, Leadership Pain. But he says this, to persevere, we need a vision for our future that's bigger than our pain. That's what Jesus did. He saw the multitudes. He had compassion on them. But look what else Jesus did. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, here's what the disciples were saying. Jesus, we've been on this tour with you for a while. We're just worn out. Like, we get it that you're Messiah, Son of God, all these great things are happening, but it's getting really difficult to follow you because we don't sleep very well, we don't eat very well, we're tired, we're kind of worn out. Like, this isn't always fun. Jesus, I thought this would be fun. Have you ever been there in your life? Jesus, I thought following you would be fun. I thought it'd be like going to the playground at Chick-fil-A. I want that type of Jesus, right? I mean, we come to church that way a lot of times. Like, I want to come to church and hear a message about overcoming. About how God's going to take care of me when I'm in my wilderness. And he will never, never let me down. And suddenly, the preacher stands up and says what Jesus said. And he says, hey, these people are hungry. You feed them. It's probably at that point that the Jesus were like, the disciples were like, Jesus, come on, man. Give us a break. What do you mean we feed them? There's 10,000 people here. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're kind of broken down. Jesus says, you feed them. (laughs) Here's what's really scary in this moment. Because look what it says in verse 17. It says, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. See, here's what's scary about that moment. These disciples came into agreement with what they couldn't do. I think the scariest place in our life is when we come into agreement with what we can't do instead of coming into agreement fully with all that God can do. You gotta make a choice. 
Are you going to believe what your calculations say about the problem? Are you going to believe what heaven sees about your problem? Are you going to do like these guys and say, Jesus, we have only this? I mean, think about it. They were like, hey, we only have this, Jesus. You you know what they were saying when they said we only have this? Jesus, this is all we can see. This is what's natural, Jesus. (laughs) The problem is Jesus was the one who called Peter to get out of a boat and walk on water. He wasn't into the natural. He was into the supernatural. I just want to say to you, this is such an amazing moment because it's when we get our third principle about how God wants to work the miraculous in our life. And here it is. Offer God your only. Offer God your only. Here's what they said. Jesus, we only have, we hear, we only have here five loaves and two fish. Offer God your only. But what do we do? Here's what we say. God, I only have just a little bit of time, so I'm not gonna really make much of a difference. God, I only have just, just a little bit of influence. If I had his influence, I would, I would do great things for your kingdom. I almost think the disciples probably knew what they only had. Like, hey, this, this, this will help Jesus get back into the realm of reality. Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fish. End of conversation. But what happens when you offer God your only? You see, the size of your only never determines God's ability. The size of your only never determine God's ability. God's not up there sizing you and I, I up going, well, I can't really use her because she's got a past and I can't really use him because, you know, he's a business leader and, and I don't use those type of people. You know, God doesn't do that. He's not up there going, oh, I can only use him and him and him. He will take whatever you offer and do great things with it. Offer God your only. God, I only have 15 years to live. Offer it to God. God, I can only give you. Here, here it is, Lord. This is, I feel so stupid because I don't make a lot of money, but God, I give you what I have. And God says, hey, just offer me your only. Just bring it to me. Bring it to me. Watch what I can do. Offer God your only and watch what God will do with it. That's my story. I knelt beside of a waterbed in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma and gave my life to Jesus as a 17-year-old junior in high school and I offered God my only. In some weird, crazy way, I ended up as the pastor of this church. Man. There's dads out here, you're like, man, I'm just the father of two kids. Like, I can barely coach their t-ball team. What if you saw coaching that t-ball team as making disciples for generations to come? What if you took that job you have, lady, that you go, I hate my job. I want to kill everyone around me. (laughs) Okay, first of all, you need counseling. What if you took that job that you think you're stuck in and you said, God, I'm bringing you my only. Hey, student, what about your campus? You're on a high school campus and you're like, I want friends so bad and so I need my friends around me and if I don't know who my friends around me is, I don't, no, no, no. What if you saw your campus as a mission field? That every day you go to school with 2,000 plus people 
the majority of which do not know Jesus Christ. And you just walked in and said, God, I'm just a ninth grader. I don't even know how to do algebra, God. But I offer you my only. And I'm gonna live for you on my campus and I'm gonna open my mouth about you and I'm gonna love people who are far from you and I ain't gonna sit with all my friends at the table. I'm gonna go down and sit with everyone that they, oh, why is he sitting with her? Why is she sitting with him? Because that's what Jesus would do. These disciples, they couldn't see what God could do because they weren't willing to offer God their only. But I want you to see what God did. Look at verse 19. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Now, stop for just a second because this is crazy to me. Jesus took what they had, their only. He took it before the Father. He prayed, and it says he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Here's what it doesn't say. Jesus prayed, and all of a sudden there was a big explosion, and then suddenly there was a food truck that could feed 10,000 people. Or all of a sudden they heard camels coming in with food on their backs and they're like, oh my goodness, Jesus just prayed and the miracle happened. Here, here's the thing I wanna give you and it's the fourth observation before we close. If we're gonna experience the miracle in our life, we've gotta start moving. The Bible says Jesus prayed. He took the fish, he took the loaf, he prayed, he broke the bread in half and he handed it to his disciples. And the miracle happened when they started moving. Never seen this before in my life. I've read this thousands of times. The miracle was in their hands. All they had to do was move. The miracle was waiting to be manifested when the movement began. All they had to do was say, I'm just going to leave this spot, the comfort spot, because I'm close to Jesus, and Jesus is, Jesus is going to feed me. And he took the basket, and they walked around. And I'm sure as they are walking away from Jesus, there was probably a few of them going, there ain't no way this is going to last. But the, the other accounts of this miracle, they sat in circles, and they literally came and took baskets, and every person like took it, and they had enough. But the miracle happened the moment movement began. And I just want to say this to you in your life. If we want to experience miraculous things in our life, we got to start moving. What are we waiting on? Listen, you want to change South Atlanta? I do. You want to change our schools? I do. You want to feed the hungry? I do. Let's get moving. See, what we got is we got this idea that we want to have this miraculous experience without any expectation on our part. Right? Wouldn't we love it if God just showed up and said, Sean, here is your basket. Forget about everyone else. I love you the most. You just take this for yourself. Because in the American church, that's kind of what we do a lot. We just go, I just need to be fed. So I need someone to feed me. But the truth is, we miss a lot of miracles because the miracle happened the moment they started moving. I've seen this in our church. This is what I love about you. When we start moving, there's nothing that God won't supply. We start loving people far from Jesus enough to start having Jesus conversations with them. People meet Jesus. 
When we start hurting the broken and the down and out and the addicted and the, the, the people that no one else cares about, you know what happens? God starts changing lives. When, when we start serving and discipling our kids and, and caring enough to say, you know what, I'm going to be here every Wednesday night for our teenagers because they need mentors in their life. You know what happens? God brings 10 more teenagers in the room. Why? Because God's into the miraculous and he's waiting on you and I to move. If we want to see God's work multiply on this earth, we as the people of God got to start moving. The miracle happened the moment they started passing out the bread and the fish. Oh, I love it. If you want to see the miraculous in your life, start moving. Start giving it away. James says it this way, faith without deeds, movement is dead. You may be at a place in your life you feel so dry spiritually. You know why? Because there may be a lack of movement. You may be at a place where you feel really stuck spiritually. Why? Because God's already told you to step out in faith and trust him. Like, hey, go talk to that person. Go pray for that person. But there's no movement. Faith without deeds is dead. I want to say something to our church before we close. Listen, South Crest, the miracle's already in your hands. Look at all that God's given us. Both campuses, look at all of what God has given us. We started 17 years ago in a catfish restaurant. I'm sure everyone left full of Jesus and smelling like catfish. We moved to Northgate High School and met there for years, setting up and tearing down, setting up and tearing down. Those of you at LaGrange, you spent two and a half years in a movie theater. You went home and said, is that Jesus or popcorn I smell? Why, 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 why? Here's why. Because we believe God wants to do the miracle and move in our community. And guys, listen, the miracle's gonna get manifested when we as the people of God, South Christ Church, start moving. Start moving. Start moving. Look what happened, verse 20, and we'll close. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I think God has a great sense of humor. All you jokers who think when you move and give it all away that you're not going to have anything left over for me. <laughs> the disciples came back with 12 basketfuls. You know what that tells me? When we get moving, God has a way of supplying more. It's his movement, faith, that he's waiting on. He gives us more energy to love people. He gives us more compassion to hurt those who need help. He gives us more resource to take care of people who are far from God. And I think some of the scarcity we face in our life is because we're so afraid that if we truly give it away and, and let God just have it all, that we won't have enough. The problem with that is I have too many years as a believer and a follower of Christ that I've seen just the opposite. At the time in my life when I felt broken down, hurt, alone, 
lonely, tired, unfulfilled, weary. I just keep coming back to God and I offer him my only. And I get moving. And God keeps supplying more. Let's pray together today.